Good evening. We are in Second John, starting tonight. Been a long time coming. We liked the first one so good we didn't want to go to the second one. Could be the problem. But if things go the way that I hope they do, we'll be done with it almost as quickly as we started it. Because if you would turn to Second John right now in your Bible... You have to get it exactly right or you'll completely miss it because it's probably on one sheet of paper in your Bible. It may lap over into a second one or go from the front side to the back side, but there are 13 verses in the book of 2 John. 13 verses. That is the fewest verses of any book in the Bible. And so when we use the word, oh, how many books are in the Bible? 66, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. But we would maybe say that not all books are created equal in length. You know, for some of our, some of the books are much longer and some of these are a little bit shorter. 2 John is the shortest by verse. Now, depending upon what translation you use, 2 John or 3 John has the fewest words. Uh, the, the, the different translations, sometimes the, uh, the way the words get translated uh, is uh, first, excuse me, second and third John, one's longer than the other. But they're both really short. If you were to go home and read all of second John, you would not be lying if you called your friend and said, I read a whole book tonight. However, you might be skirting around just a little bit because you're not going to read too much. But we're not worried about the length of it but rather the quality of what we're going to see there within it. And there's a lot of stuff in 2 John. I found this for us to look at tonight. This is nothing more than just kind of a man-made sort of guide about the breakdown of 2 John. And so we're going to look at it in these four parts. First, we're going to introduce the second part, walking in love and truth. Third, standing against error. And fourth is the conclusion. And you can see here on this chart that there's not a whole lot of in-depth because there's not a whole lot of verses. So the first couple of verses and then 4 through 6, 7 through 11, and 12 and 13. But I like this because it includes an emphasis. uh, It includes that sort of personal touch that uh, is mentioned there. Uh, There's a lot of different things here that I think is uh, beneficial. You can find these kinds of charts uh, in a lot of in books or online, and, and many times these are these are good kind of helpful things because uh, you know if, if you open up your Bible and say I'm going to read this book, well this, whatever this book is, it might be you know 30, 40 chapters, and, and that can be sort of daunting. Uh, and so sometimes something like this is kind of a little bit of a guide. You know what am I what am I really looking at here? What, where, this is the first part, and this is the second part. So if you see anything like this, these uh, these can be really helpful. Uh, helpful for you. So let's get into Second John. We finished First John. You'll see a lot of similarities uh, as we go into Second, and then of course Third uh, John as well. We're going to divide it just like the screen has here into four parts, and we'll start with uh, the first three verses. So, uh, and if you care to read Second John, verses one, two, and three. Which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. 
Now, we see throughout the letters, if you would, uh, epistles, although uh, sometimes these these don't necessarily get included in that, but these epistles or these letters almost always start with some kind of introduction. You know, a a dear, you know, the, 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 the old dear John letters, you know, which were impersonal, but we've all written a letter or received a letter you know, that said, dear whomever, right? And sometimes it may be a bear of bad news. Dear Jimmy, your credit card bill is due, you know? Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll say really nice things. We love having you as a customer. Send us, you know, $1,000 right now. So, and sometimes it may be on the, you know, something good, you know? A lot of times we'll read notes from here, uh, from in front of the group here. It'll say, dear church family, thank you so much for whatever it might be. But we introduce it that way we sort of know who is being presented to. So John, in 2 John here, we read the elder. And then it says, to the elect lady and her children. So we're going to start right off the bat with who is the elect lady and her children. First of all, maybe I'm a month late in asking this question, but what does it mean to elect? To choose, okay? And so we have elections periodically, and those elections allow us to make choices as to who our leader would be. And so we say, here's one, and here's one, and I pick this right here. That is to elect, is to choose. All right, so to the elect lady. Well, I think we know what a lady is, but what are we talking about? What is, what is this first sentence here? To the elect lady. This is a debated topic. Yes, it can be looked at, it's sort of debated on two fronts. One, as a metaphor that represents the church. How is the church described in comparison to Jesus? The bride. The bride, bride, okay? So if we look at Jesus as being a male and the bride, the church being the bride, the female, then you can kind of see that lady right there, that, that use of the lady, okay? So it's a metaphor for the church. So what does that mean, the elect lady? Well, the, the chosen lady, I mean, the, the, the people that are in the church, uh, Jesus chose to establish the church. Okay. He chose to marry the church. Okay. And he chose to save the church. We'll get to that second part, that last part there in just a second. But yes, the, the, the Jesus came to establish the church or to, to die, right? He came to live and suffer and die as a man so that the salvation would be there as, a possibility, as an option, as a possibility for him. Now, the second part, to the elect lady and her children. Now, John has numerous times referred to Christians as what in 1 John? What's the two-word term he used all the time? Little children. He kept saying it. So when you get into the second John, which these are two completely different things. I don't mean that. But you can still see that same style to the elect lady and her children. So who are these children in this sentence? So that would be because the church is going to exist 
whether you're part of it or not. Okay? The church will exist whether you're part of it or not. So the church, the elect lady, and the little children, the people there. Now, that metaphor is used to sort of explain what we have right here. Now, there are some people that will say that the term that is used right there, I, I think it's pronounced Kira, uh, K-Y-R-I-A, a Greek term, which actually may reference a real live person that they were writing to. I don't really think it's that. I think that the term that's used could maybe have some sort of double meaning right there. But I think it's pretty clear that they're talking about the church uh, and the people, especially based upon what we saw written from John uh, in the church in the previous chapter. But there is at least some debate. But whether this was a literal letter written to a literal woman who literally has kids or if we're going to interpret this as a metaphor to represent the church and the people, I don't think the meaning of this book really changes at all. It still references or it still, uh, it still uh, goes to uh, w- what we're looking at here and uh, who the church was and to the people that were here uh, involved in the church. Now, that's to get us started. So we're already, we're already rolling right here. But he says... To the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. So to me, he's saying I love the church and I love the people that make up the church. But also all those what? All those that have known the truth. What What do you think John is saying here when he says, but also to all those who have known the truth? making this statement not to necessarily uh, you know I, th- I, think th- I think this statement can be used to be spoken about people maybe that, about, that were Christians in the past on you know those who had known the truth it could be Christians who are in another place not in not right here where what where this letter uh, was maybe necessarily going to but he says not only I but also all those who have known the truth because in verse two of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever now we've seen this word abides over and over again in first john i've asked you this question till i'm tired of asking it what's it mean to abide or to abide in yeah so it's sort of to, to to live in very good and so he says in verse two because of the truth which abides in us. Okay, what is that truth that abides in us? He uses the word us. He's talking about himself. He's talking about the church. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about me and you 2,000 years later. What is that truth there? The gospel that has been preached to him. There you go. That truth, that gospel that abides in us. And then he also says, and what? On the back part of verse 2. And will be with us forever. Now, why is that perhaps an important thing to take from this verse? And will be with us forever. The truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. I think so. I think you're exactly right. I've told this before, but Aunt Kelly would always say the truth will stand for the world And that's a great statement. You never have to change the truth. Like if, if you know, if you walk out the door at seven oh five p.m., that's a 
It, somebody, I said, I've never walked out of several five feet. That is a truthful statement. Whether it's said today or a thousand years ago, Daniel Hopkins, that man walked out that door a thousand years ago. That's a truthful statement. Right. Lies cannot say. They, people forget them. They get confused. You know, they fall under their own way. Sure. Sure. And that God's word is true. It will stand for it. Good. This uh, uh, undermines got a lot of times you might not have a Bible verse to go to. Yeah. And this says in Colossians 1 5, it says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before the word of the truth of the gospel. There are countless references. Absolutely. There are countless references in the Bible to that truth. And it always ties into what Lucille just said there. That, that word truth and that word gospel are almost always going to be tied in whenever you're talking of one uh, to the other. And, and, and Lucille, I, I, I appreciate you saying it. We all have those, a lot, well, we may not all have it, but a lot of Bibles have those verses that'll say, this is a verse that's really similar to it. And it takes you right back there. It kind of reaffirms. I like that. I like when it does that. It allows me to kind of, you know, makes a little more sense to me uh, on that as well. He continues on in verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. So we've introduced it here to start with. So we see there's a greeting, there's an affirmation, and there is encouragement right there. First of all, we like to be greeted, right? You ever work with somebody who didn't greet you? You ever known people that won't greet you? That is maybe one of my biggest pet peeves as a school teacher is when I'd say hello and they wouldn't respond back. Now, I don't mean, you know, like, you know, in a massive crowd, but if, if me and you are, you know, we're not two ships passing in the night, if I say hello, you don't have to stop and hug me and you know, how you doing? Glad I had something in party. I'm not trying to do that, but at least say hello right there. But there's that greeting there. We like a greeting. We like an affirmation. That what you are doing is good. Right? There was an old Saturday Night Live uh, character who, who had a, they, he was the, he gave the daily affirmations, if you will. He would tell people, you're good enough, you're smart enough. We like that, right? We like to be, you know, what we're doing is right. And I think Christians need to have affirmation from time to time. Because sometimes when you're a Christian, if nobody says, you know, you're doing a good job, or I like what you're doing, or you're, you know, those kind of things, well, you get kind of down and depressed. It's good to hear those kind of affirmations, that encouragement that sort of comes there as well. Because if it feels like you're the only person that's pulling on the rope, it's going to be pretty easy to let the rope go. But that affirmation and that encouragement sort of builds us up just a little bit. Let's go a little further. Uh, Linda, do you care to read verses 4, 5, and 6? So I could probably have you go back, like we said a moment ago, to 1 John and read those five chapters and you would hear a lot of the same stuff. You know, I, I've, I found myself during the course of teaching these, especially 1 John, 
I felt like I was saying something that we had already covered. I thought, did we cover that last week? I can't remember, you know, what it is. Because it kind of happens, we see it said sort of over and over again, uh, a lot of these things. And these three verses that Linda read is not any different. Let's look at verse 4. How were the elect ladies' children behaving? says, my Bible says, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in the truth. Now, what does that mean to be walking in the truth? The elect lady's children. Doing the right thing. thing. That's encouraging to know, right? It's encouraging to know that there are people that maybe you know but don't really know or people that you're acquainted with but you're not seeing all the time that are continuing to walk in the truth. One of the things that I hate to hear is when, or I hate to maybe see, might be a better one, better way to say it, is to see a church that no longer exists. I mean, a church built, you know. And, and you'll see signs in front that say the church began meeting here in 18, whatever. But you'll never see a sign that says it stopped meeting here in whatever, do you? What happens to a church that just sort of that has stopped. What, what usually causes that? It just dies out. It dies out. But what are the causes of that? People not coming together. Lack of interest. Apathy. What you say, Disagreements. Sometimes age doesn't. You know, it, 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 if you're, you know, if it's an older. I, I, I know that I, I remember Willie then I'm talking about I, what's, what's, I can't remember what the church was New Bethel, you know, and that was a church that was really strong and it, it kind of went away it, you know, you can't look back and say well, you know, it's easy to look back and say we should have done this, we should have done this but those things just sort of happen but on the flip side, isn't it nice to see a church maybe a building that says you know, began in you know, 1840 and, and there's 50 cars in the parking lot you know, 150 or 200 years later I don't know anybody there. I have no connection to it. It's like, oh, okay, well, it's good to see those people. You know, they're, they're kind of still living it. If, if we don't spread the gospel to the next generation, the church will die. Absolutely. And that's what happened down at Green River. You mm-hmm. know Green River Church? I've been down there when they had gospel meetings down there. They was a fairly good crowd down there. Sure. And, but it no longer exists now. And I think that's what John is saying here in verse 4. I rejoice greatly that I found your children walking in truth. That makes him, because all of these people that wrote things in the Bible were eventually going to die. And some of them died, you know, in bad ways. And some of them died in old age. And John may have been one of the old age ones, I believe. But when John is, he's looking at this kind of from a distance and saying, I'm glad to see things are going well there. You know, because if you looked around and said, well, I was working with that church and that church and that church and they all fell away, well, make you feel bad, right? You wouldn't have that encouragement, that affirmation. So he says the people were walking in truth. Now, we've asked this question. I already asked it. How do you walk in truth? Love one another. another. So John says in verse 5, He says, I'm not coming to you with anything new right here. 
This is not a repeat. I, I think I've already said this in the previous book. He says, now I plead with you, lady, or the church, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you. He's not saying, you know, well, you had all of these things, but here's another one. You know, because sometimes whenever we have a few tasks, it's that next one, I, I can't do anymore, right? And I, I'm prepared to do these things, but I'm not going to do this one. That's going to make it tough. I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to start doing bad on these because I'm trying to ask too much. He says, I'm not trying to ask you anything new. But rather, verse 5, he says, but that which we have had from the beginning that we love one another. He said, that's where our focus is going to be. Leland, you said our responsibility is to grow the church. Is it possible to grow the church without love? No. It can't. Why can you not grow the church without love? Absolutely. If, if people see that you are uh, exploiting them or using them, they they will be turned off. I think we all would agree that church attendance and being a Christian is an important part of our life. But I think we'd also agree that it's not a requirement by law in the United States to be a Christian, to attend church. None of that's required. You know, I might, you know, for the sake of me and my wife and my child, I probably need to work, you know? Now, I may hate it, but I'm going to go do it because i got to do it. You know, we got to pay the bills. But the church doesn't have to be like that. If you go to church every time and the people there are awful, everybody's mad. They hate being there. They're not kind or polite to you. Are you going to keep going? No. No. Because Sunday's a day off. I got to deal with all that Monday through Friday. I don't even, I don't even put up with that on Sunday. That's horrible. Well, can the church grow without love? It can't. So if you're living that way, or if you're acting that way, or if your church operates that way, what's going to have to do it? It's going to have an empty parking lot and weeds growing up all around that's what happens. And there's a lot of reasons why, but that's one of the reasons why that happens. So living in truth in verse 5 by going through or by following the commandment that was there from the get-go to love one another. Thoughts? Just for the sake of letting you know why sometimes I'm getting, you know, I feel like I'm getting deja vu. The word love appears 57 times in the book of John and another 46 times in the book of 1 John. That's a lot. So when I told you that I felt like I was saying them, some of the questions and some of the things I was saying was over and over again, that's kind of part of it. It shows up a lot. How does John define love in verse 6? Jill? Walk in accordance with his commandments. This is pretty easy, right? That's where, this is, you, you, do what you, you do what Jesus said to do. You're going to be living in love. You're going to be walking in love. You're going to be showing love to people. However, word you want to use right there. Jesus is the way we walk in the truth, too. Absolutely. And John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Absolutely. So, 
Pretty straightforward, right? Right. They, they mean nothing. They mean nothing. To you. And that's what like Jesus, we can say, Jesus, we love you. We love your church. But I'm never going to attend. I'm never going to be a part of it. Uh, and our actions would, would, would tell what we really do. Sure. Absolutely. If, if you loved it, you know, you would participate. You know, you would uh, care for it. So walk in truth and love. Okay. Love one another. Walk in obedience. Let's go to the next set. Uh, Lucille, do you care to read verses 7 through 11 in Second John? Outside of the first five books of the uh, of the uh, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Acts of the Apostles, and then Revelation at the end, the middle twenty-one books or letters or whatever you want to call them in the New Testament were all written toward different groups of people, specific people. And First John was not written to the same people that Second John was written. And third John, we'll see next week, was written to, it's written to Gaius, is the man's name. But it's written to, they're written to different people. Now, we can read all of these and still take from them what's important. But if what Lucille read sounds familiar, turn back to 1 John chapter 4 for just a second. 1 John chapter 4, more specifically, verse 3. Well, I guess verse 2. 1 John chapter 4. Verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. That's verse 2. Verse 3 then says, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. John wrote to a different set of people in 1 John than in 2 John. But he's writing about the same thing. He says there's people that are going out amongst you that are saying what about Jesus? He wasn't real. That he wasn't real. Okay? They wasn't who he said he was. They're denying that he came in the flesh. They're saying that he was not who? He was not. They're not denying that God existed. They're saying that this Jesus, who again, we're a few years down the line from when this happened, so people are a little bit distant, removed from it. They're saying, "Well, this guy—he, I mean, he was a guy, but he was not who he claimed to be." In John, First John, chapter four, verse three, he refers to those people as what? Antichrist against Christ, right? I mean, that's my definition against Christ. You say, no, well, that's not who he was. You're saying, I'm against who, who he was or what he said he was. 
He brings it back up again in 2 John, what Lucille read there. For many, he calls them what? In verse 7 of 2 John. For many what? For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a what? And a? It's exactly the same. He's saying there are these people that are going out and saying this was not who he, he was not who he claimed to be. Right? These are issues that people were facing at the time. Now, you might say, well, that's not really that big of a deal. Those people are just kind of, they're just lying. You know, they don't know what they're talking about. Well, let's go to verse 8 and see how it can be a big deal. He says in verse 8, look to yourselves that we, although sometimes that's translated as you, he could either be talking about himself or specifically to the people that he's writing it to, that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we what? So how in the world could you lose those things you work for? What's he saying right there in verse 8? Okay. But can we look at verse 7 and verse 8 together? What's verse 8 mean? You could lose that which you work for. Absolutely right there. He says in verse 7, there's people going out saying that Jesus was not this and was not that, was not this, was not that. And in verse 8, he says, be careful because you can lose what you work for. You can all, all of a sudden you can say, you know what? That guy, John, who taught me this a while back, I don't know if he's right or not. These people sound a little bit more right. And all of a sudden, wait. Is this not just another warning that you can fall? That although you have obeyed the gospel, you can't fall from it. I just think you, I just think you see it repeatedly throughout the Bible. Hebrews is about it. I mean, we, we, it's, it's constant. Throughout the Bible, examples of being careful, all right? Be, be, being smart in your decisions, you know, being careful who you follow. Do not be deceived, you know, might be the term right there. And, and so, and he says at the end of verse 8, uh, but that we may receive a what? A full reward, all right? Which I think we would understand what that would be, but it'd be bad to not get the full reward. Daniel, I heard someone say not too long ago, Uh-huh. And uh, that is just so, such, such a lie. I mean, uh-huh. you know, it's just such a made up that people believe. But they're looking for a particular thing. You know, and Hitler was the Antichrist. Well, he certainly was against Christ. Mussolini was against Christ. You know, you can go through history and name a million people. But anybody that does not confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and obey him is an Antichrist. Yeah. It's not going to be one magical event that happens. Satan is completely antichrist. He is he is the antichrist of anybody, um, and so he just tells them beware because there's people then, there's people in the Middle Ages, there's people right now that are antichrist, and we have to be one, or we'll lose our salvation. Verse nine. My Bible says, I have a New King James, but I'm just asking you because I want to know. Mine says, whoever transgresses. Does yours say transgresses or does it say something else? Mine says, go too far. 
go too far, okay? Well, what is yours uh, American Standard? American Standard? Anybody has anybody anything different? What does transgresses mean right there? Whosoever transgresses. What's that word mean? Okay. I think we can go, I think it's a little bit further. I think so. I, I think sin is the word right there. When we see the word transgression, we're usually referencing sin right there. You know, goes too far is a different translation, but actually I, I was reading a little bit about that uh, on something and preparing for this as well, Leland. But this idea of transgressing, this sinning, whoever transgresses and does not what? Okay, does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, does not have God. So if we want to take it as sin, we're saying that if we choose to not be in the, you know, the teachings of God, that would be a sin. But if we want to say go too far, I think that can work for verses 7 and 8. Because those people are going to come and talk to you and you're going to listen. I've heard it said this is the mark. And that, that, that's a uh-huh. proper way to say it too. You're, you're aiming for this. Okay. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Okay? And so these people that were in verse 7 and the people that were in 1 John chapter 4 verse 2 and 3, those people were not anti-religion. They were just saying that Jesus was not who he claimed to be. And people were being told that, and people were hearing that. And I think what we see here with this word transgression, this goes too far, misses the mark, whatever term we want to use right there, is that people who decide to go in that direction, maybe your intentions weren't necessarily bad, but missing the mark is, is, is a big thing, right? You know, anybody ever shot a bow and arrow? Ever shot a bow toward, you know, a target? You know, the, the white and the blue and the red and all of that. And one of my finest moments as an educator was we had field day and they had a competition for the teachers to see who was the best bow shooter. Now let me say this first of all, I'm not a bow hunter or anything like that. But I stepped up there right in the dead middle of the bullseye. Second one, right in the dead middle of the bullseye, feeling good. It's like I'm better than all of these other teachers because they were all terrible, but I was really good. Added outdoorsman, you know, longtime hunter, Robin Hood Part Two. And I pull it back, the third one, feeling good about myself, and skipped it on the gym floor at Gary Middle School. That's how bad I missed it. Now my intentions were good. I felt pretty good about those two that I hit the mark with a minute ago. But all of a sudden, I'm totally off base, right? How quickly can it happen? Verse 7, 8, and 9 show that a little bit? It really does. Verse 9, yeah.
Yeah, I've heard. What you said, I could not figure out where we were. I got you. Okay. So let's go then to verse 10 and 11, taking off what you just said. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, that's the doctrine uh, of who Christ was. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. That's a strong statement. We'll see it here in just a second. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. So what, do you think we, what are we talking about right here? What about the, what does this mean? This, you know, if, if anyone comes to you, don't receive him into your house nor to greet him. There are religious organizations in the United States that we're familiar with without name that do not believe in Jesus. They believe in God, but they do not believe in Jesus. And you can look how that has snowballed and how that has led to a lot of people will be said mm-hmm. because they, they, they're, they're believing that Jesus is not necessary. They're teaching others in generation after generation. Okay, yes. This idea that if you, uh, you know, I, I think if we think about like a church, and you, uh, if we think about people that are teaching, these people that are mentioned in verse 7, if you accept, if you allow them to come in, let's just use this as an example. If you allow that person to come and stand before your crowd and preach, you've, you've already done wrong. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that somebody might start out preaching and go off the deep end with whatever. You know, that, that's something totally different. But he's saying, I think what he's saying right there is, you know, I, 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 when we say, you know, this person comes to you and they aren't bringing the right kind of doctrine, you don't need to just open the door up and say, yeah, come on in. You know, I want you to teach me. Now, can I discuss with people who have differing views or opinions? I think I'd be wrong not to. So when somebody knocks on your door and wants to talk to you about the church, do you open the door? Jimmy, you open the door? Okay. So when people come, is there, do you, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying you're, you know, if you don't feel comfortable opening the door, that's something different. But is there anything wrong if somebody knocks on the door and wants to talk to you about their faith or their religion for you to talk to them? Or probably wouldn't be a bad thing. If you're not willing to listen to someone's perspective, then they're not going to listen to yours. Absolutely. You have to listen in order to be heard. I think you're exactly right. 
But what we see here, if anyone comes to you, doesn't bring this doctrine, don't receive him into your house, nor to greet him. I, I don't think the word there, receive, means it's like, you're shunned, you're shunned. I think what it's saying right there is like, hmm, you make some valid points. I want to talk to you. You know, I believe what he's saying there is a continuation of what started with verse 7. Be careful with what people are teaching. Be, be strong and confident in what you know. And if you go back to verses 5 and 6, he said, I didn't bring any new commandments. I'm not telling you something new you got to know. You need to preach and teach Jesus Christ and crucify. You need to preach and teach, you know, the idea of love. Cleveland? Can we support somebody that's teaching a false doctrine by buying their products? Uh, be more specific. Well, this, this for instance, say the Salvation Army, I believe they teach a false doctrine. Uh-huh. Okay, can we, can we buy products from them? I've heard people say, no, we can't support them. We don't go in them places. The only thing I would say to that is I think that, I, and I've used this answer before and I don't want to be a cop out, but I do think that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. If you felt uncomfortable buying from a group like that, then I, you know, I would say not to do it. But I, I think we have to be kind of careful on that because if otherwise we're going to be a hermit not buy from anything. Because if we look at every company or every store that exists and who they support, it, that could be really tough, you know. Uh, so I, I, I can't give you. I've just, just heard that teaching all my life. Yeah, but now, but, but uh, that would be something. You know, when Paul said that, you know, if it causes my brother to sin for me to eat, eat meat, what does he say he's going to do? Then I won't eat any more meat. Did Paul say it was wrong to eat meat? No, no. no but he said what? What was he saying about that? I don't want to offend the brother. I don't want to have, I don't want to cause any issues or anything with anybody. And I think with that Leland right there, I hope that kind of maybe answers your question that that becomes, you know, I think that's a personal thing. You know, if you want to make that decision and say, yes, I might make the opposite decision and say no, and I'm not sure who's right or wrong on that. I've heard you can't offend your conscience. So you've heard that. Yes. Other thoughts? Again, we in America today, in this part of the country, we would be hard pressed to go out here and find anybody that denies Jesus. You know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We're, this time, when John's writing this, there's a lot of people that are Judaizers, you know, and that, that's really that's a real issue. The Jews, the Orthodox Jews, do not believe that Jesus was the Christ. Right. And we are not probably going to run into that person. You know, I know it's not just that's what you, that's the main thing. Some here, people that say there is no Christ. Right. Well, that's that. You can't go there. Okay. Right. We can be polite, like Mary said, and we can be kind and be, be considerate. But you can't you can't bring that doctrine to the you know to, to my house. Right. I, I absolutely flat out reject Jesus. You. That's not gonna fly. Here. Yep. Other thoughts. Give me like two minutes. I know we're running late. I hope nobody's got. I hope nobody left the oven on. Number. 12, verse 12 and 13, having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. What does he, what does John say in verse 12? What, what, what's his desire? He hopes, to greet them in person. he hopes to greet them in person. We see this numerous times in the Bible. People that are restricted, people that are away, people that are writing letters saying, I wish that I could be there with you. You know, we, we, we see people writing letters from prison. We see people writing letters exiled or on islands or in one part of the world instead of the other. 
And they always are desiring to see those folks. And I think if you look at, for, at Second John through the whole, you know, it starts off with we really, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm glad to see things are doing well. And I wish I could. And it, it ends with saying, I wish I could be there in a sense with you. John may be an exile. Could be. Could be. Other thoughts, comments? We went a little bit quick, but I wanted to get through Second John uh, tonight. Thank you.